Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. Welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, Zara McDonald. And hello, producer Annabelle Lee. Hi. <laughs> Coming up on today's show, guys, Scott Disick proves why you should never, ever take digs at your very famous ex in someone else's Instagram DMs. The Dolce & Gabbana fashion show was paid a visit by Mother Nature. What to make of the semi-terrible movie that's number one on the Netflix charts right now. And then, finally, the politics of being an it girl. The UK biggest influencer just made the biggest move of her career so far but lots of people have been left feeling pretty ick about it but first Michelle how was your week? I had a wonderful weekend mostly because my partner was victorious <laughs> over your yeah. partner. It's not personal. <laughs> I he was... wasn't playing. <laughs> it was almost like he was playing though that is how high the tensions were in our household. I was very, very relieved after the game. It was just a blissful, lovely environment. He did sledge your partner, Ollie, <laughs> in our group chat. And yeah, no, feeling pretty great about it. How did Ollie take the loss? He is a bomber supporter. Mitch is a doggy supporter. How's he feeling about it? It was quite a stony-faced household, I will <laughs> admit, on Sunday. It was quite funny, actually. He had realised, I think, pretty soon into maybe the th- end of the third quarter <laughs> that it wasn't happening for them. And towards the end of the game, he was just like completely resigned and not happy. But the game finished, the siren went and he just sort of like sloppily spilt half a glass of red wine on our (laughs) white rug and just stared at it and was emotionless about it because he was so (laughs) devastated by the game. And I looked at him and I said, are you kidding me right now? And he said, what? It's time for a new one anyway. A new rug. The rug is 10 months old. So that is how the game went. Not particularly well. My poor rug. I was like scrubbing to get it out because he just had no emotion in him. My favourite piece of post-loss Ollie content was him just sitting on the floor in your apartment eating a bowl of lollies, (laughs) just staring dejectedly at the floor. I got to say, times like this make me glad that I'm not as obsessed about sport as some people because the emotional roller coaster that some people go on, I'm like, oh, I'm quite even tempered. <laughs> My whole life is quite even tempered, all things considered. <laughs> well, as soon as Mitch won, he took like a four hour nap. I feel like he was like so stressed. He made himself exhausted. They won and then he slept for like the entire night. <laughs> the burning of nerves. I'm like, I could never have been a sports fan to the level that they are or a professional athlete because I just would not be able to handle the nerves. Do you have a recommendation for me this week? I do. And it's an uncharacteristically highbrow recommendation from me. 
misrepresented <gasps> on ABC iView. Have either of you watched this? No, but I've seen so much about it on Twitter. It's on my To Be Watched. Yeah, so it's a series hosted by Annabelle Crabb and although it will sound dry and sound boring, I guarantee you guys will like it. It is about women in parliament, women in government and the hurdles that they face. They interview women from both sides of politics, from all kinds of eras as well, obviously those who are alive still. Yes, but <laughs> that would make most sense. <laughs> but it's super interesting. I think it's so fascinating to see how women from such different sides of politics can still have identical or near identical experiences of the one system. It is a little bit frustrating and you do feel a certain level of despair as you watch, but I think it's also kind of reassuring to see how far we've come and then how far women are determined to go as well. How many parts are there? There are three episodes. I wish there were more. But they're so, so good. Nice. Yeah. How was your week? I mean, I have nothing to say beyond what we just talked about. So I'm conversation dry. Did the red wine come out of the rug? Yes. So apparently salt and soda water. Really? But yeah. So you like put heaps of white salt and soda water on the rug. But now I've kind of got like random like salty (laughs) splodges that I can't get out with my vacuum. So that's the next frontier of rug gate. I actually have two recommendations if you'll allow me this week. One Please. high, one middle. Yeah. Middle brow. I watched a two-part series on Four Corners last night that was on iview from a couple of weeks ago called Fox and the Big Lie. Now, the reason that I'm giving two recommendations this week is because you'll probably say this one's quite boring. So <laughs> I'm giving another two. The Fox and the Big Lie. Fox and the Big Lie. So Sarah Ferguson for Four Corners did an investigation into the Murdoch press, into Fox News <laughs> and the holes that... What it, a Zara McDonald. This is like the most predictable thing ever. And the hold that they had over democracy in America, particularly about Trump. And I think I've consumed a lot of stuff about the Murdochs, quite a lot, too much. No. Are you loving media content and Fox News content and Murdoch content? Never. I've consumed a lot about Fox News as well, but I hadn't watched anything that sort of at this point in time, was able to look back on the Trump presidency and to work out like how much of an impact both Fox and Trump had. So that was really, really good. It's a two-part series, both episode 40 minutes, really, really well done. Couldn't recommend it more. If that's not your thing, that's so fun. I understand we're on a celebrity and pop culture podcast. I have been watching Nine Perfect Strangers. Have either of you been watching? Yeah. Okay, controversial. I'm so sorry that I negged your first recommendation and now I might be negging your second. I watched two episodes and they just did not grab me. I really tried to stick with this because I read Nine Perfect Strangers and I kind of enjoyed it. The TV show was a little bit too woo-woo for me. Annabelle? I'm enjoying it, but I haven't read the book, so maybe this is just my standard. No, the book is not great. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Lovely Anne Moriarty, though. Love her. Her books are like my favourite. The Husband's Secret is one of our all-time favourites, Zara. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that goes without saying. Anne Moriarty is one of the most ridiculously good authors ever. I just didn't love the book. No, neither. But I do like this TV show because, yeah, it is a bit woo-woo and it's a bit strange, but I find it quite comforting. For those who don't know what Nine Perfect Strangers is haven't read the book don't know what the TV show is it's basically about nine strangers who turned up to a health retreat where there is this ethereal woman acted by Nicole Kidman who is at the head of the retreat who's I'm gonna say a bit kooky <laughs> which is a <laughs> the bit understatement of, of the century and it's just all about the health retreat and I can't say anything else because I'll probably spoil it but it is woo-woo, as we said. It's just like a nice kind of easy watch in these times. And I think that's what people need, right? I, yeah, I think it's good if you can get past a little hurdle that I just have not been able to get past. I hate the fact that this was set in Byron Bay. I know. It's including so many Australian actors and yet it's completely Americanized. They're pretending that it's somewhere in America. They've all got these, dare I say, shoddy American accents that I can kind of hear through. I don't all know. All right. <laughs> you acting expert. I'm just saying, well, clearly not. But I'm just saying, like, why do Australian products need to be Americanized? I would love to think that Americans would find an Australian drama or an American drama but set in Australia still interesting. Aren't 
Australians interesting to them, like Crocodile Dundee and all of the things in American <laughs> pop culture where they find fascinating about Australia? Yeah, it's really interesting because the book itself was set in Australia. It was filmed in Australia, but they've changed it to be in California, I think. I don't know. I mean, they do have an amazing cast who came down to Australia to film and maybe they just weren't that good at putting on an Australian accent, like mm. Melissa McCarthy and... <laughs> <laughs> thought of one actor. There are so many Australian actors in this who are forced to put on American accents. I'm sure the poor American yeah. actors can figure it out. Yeah, so true. It's just <laughs> so nice to see Australian actors like Asha Ketty acting with Melissa McCarthy and Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Samara Weaving is in it. It's a great cast. Don't listen to Michelle. Watch the show. <laughs> Before we get into the first segment of the show today, Mish, a little bit of an update on our shameless merch that went very, very wild on Monday night. Yeah. So we launched our shameless charity merch hoodies on Monday night. You guys sold us out in four minutes, which is a shameless community record. Thank you to everyone who bought a hoodie. We know that a lot of you missed out and we will get to that in just a second, Zara, but these are going towards two charities we care a lot about, Jira and Safe Steps Victoria. $10 from every jumper, which is Shameless Media's entire cut, is being donated. So if you missed out, we have formulated a plan because it was very, very hard to get our hands on any more hoodies. You guys took all the hoodies that are available, but we do have a plan 2.0, which we are excited about, Zara. Yes, we do have a plan. We've actually quite quickly come up with a plan. And when I say we, I mean Sweater Club, Sweater Club has come up with a plan. <laughs> so we have ordered some more sweaters. We could not get our hands on, as Mish said, a bunch of hoodies. There were a million COVID delays that we do not need to get into with the hoodies. But we've ordered sweaters that we actually sold last year in the navy colour with the same sort of style with the Shameless. They look pretty cool, Mish. They look very cool. We know that a lot of you adored last year's jumpers. So it was the perfect solution to be able to bring them back in the new colourway, the navy with the very loyal listener tags which is my favorite little addition yeah so keep an eye on our socials because we will have photos up there in the coming days and more details on where to buy don't you worry about that but for now mish let's get into the first segment of the show because we are starting with courtney kardashian scott disick and what not to do in your instagram dms (laughs) yeah so to set the scene we have four different players involved in this story first up we do have courtney kardashian we're sure that all of the shameless listeners are familiar with courtney Courtney Kardashian. The second player we have is Scott Disick. Now, Courtney and Scott Disick were together for about a decade. They have three children together. They split up in about 2016, 2017. Then our third player is Yunus Benjima. He and Courtney Kardashian dated between 2016 and 2018. Then they broke up. Our fourth player in this story is Travis Barker, Courtney Kardashian's current boyfriend, who she began dating in about January of this year. He is the drummer of Blink-182 or Blink-182, depending on which you think is the right. (laughs) And it turns out we have to say Blink-182 or 182 every single time it comes up because people are so divided. People get so angry at us as well. It's definitely Blink-182. Anyway, so we have a bit of a love square going on. We've got Kourtney Kardashian, two of her exes, and her new partner. Now... As we've said on this show before, Mish, Courtney Kardashian and Travis Barker are super heavy on the PDA. Now, I have to unpack my own bias when it comes to PDA when I look at these photos because I'm like, this is a me thing, not a them thing. They should be able to do what they want. But it's a lot. It's a lot. And this is the tricky thing because I know that we said this earlier in the year on Shameless and a couple of listeners reached out and said, is it slut shaming to comment on it? I personally don't think it is because this is literally such a deviation from every other celebrity couple we see. Like we're used to seeing people kiss in public, hold hands in public, snuggle in public. We're not so used to seeing celebrity couples straddle and dry hump (laughs) each other in public. And if that's your style, power to you. However, I think it is our right to comment on that being unique. Well, it's just a learning experience for all of us, right? It's about it's about learning and growing, growing and becoming used to this new world. Now, what happened is Courtney and Travis are in Italy at the moment and on Tuesday a bunch of media publications published a string of what they called a steamy holiday photos of Courtney and Travis on a boat in Italy. They're straddling each other. They're making out. You can As s- is the 
Courtney and Travis way. Well, you can see their tongues, which is fine. (laughs) Now, apparently what happened is when Scott Disick saw these photos, he screenshotted them. And we should keep in mind that Scott Disick is the father of Courtney Kardashian's three children, decided to direct message on Instagram Courtney Kardashian's other ex and say, yo, is this chick okay? Bro, like, what is this in the middle of Italy? Yes, this was all going on in Instagram DMs. And Yunez decided to respond to Scott Disick, but also took it one step further. So in response to Scott's message, he wrote, doesn't matter to me as long as she's happy. P.S. I ain't your bro. (laughs) Now, if Scott Disick saw that and went, ooh, bit of a burn, he wasn't prepared for what was coming because Yunez then screenshotted their conversation and put it up on his Instagram stories where he wrote, keep the same energy you had about me publicly, privately. Now, that's referring, Zara, you don't watch Keeping Up With The Kardashians or you didn't watch it very much when it was airing. That is referring to this very strong narrative in the show that Eunice, who they also referred to as Y, was not a good boyfriend, treated Courtney badly or was immature or whatever. So, Eunice here is referring to that narrative on the show and saying, don't try and DM me, don't try and be all buddy-buddy with me and slag off Courtney when you've been slagging me off on your reality TV show. Yeah, which is hilarious to me because why did Scott Disick think that he was going to find an ally here? First and foremost, he used to slag off Eunice. But secondly, they don't follow each other on Instagram. (laughs) It's not like they've cultivated this relationship after he and Courtney have broken up. They don't have a relationship. (laughs) It's so weird that Scott thought he was finding an audience for this. Scott Disick, I'm sorry, is such an idiot for doing this. Like, you are so famous. Your ex-partner is so famous. You have three children with her. Cost-benefit analysis again. Like, why would you think that it's worthwhile sending this DM to your arch nemesis in the celebrity world and think it's all going to work out fine? Eunice Benjima actually followed this up with a further story where he wrote, couldn't miss this one. He's been playing around for too long, tried to stay quiet and be the nice guy. It does make me wonder how much celebrities actually do dumb shit on their Instagram (laughs) accounts because of how much we actually find out. So I'm like, how much do they do that we just don't find out? Like, it is your name, your verified tick. And I understand that there has been instances where some of this stuff has been photoshopped Mm. in the past. But in this case, it looks incredibly real. And it just makes me wonder, like, why put your name to this stuff in writing? Send a voice note. Send a voice note and then you're not going to be caught. Imagine if it was screen recorded, though. Actually, screen recording, you can't get voice notes. No, that's why you're voice You're so notings. clever. I know. Oh, I've, <laughs> oh, I've, no. I've sent some voice notes in my time. <laughs> now, what I did love, though, was commentary from the Daily Mail when they wrote about this. And they had this line in their piece, Mish. Eunice, despite being 10 years younger than Scott, exuded more maturity about his ex's happiness in the alleged private conversation. I I appreciate that Scott Disick isn't in the right here, but are we really saying that Eunice is as well? (laughs) So mature to make this all public and to air it publicly. Thank you, Eunice. Coming up after the break, how Mother Nature paid a visit to the Dolce & Gabbana fashion show and then the politics of being an it girl. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Annabelle, I love that you're like bouncing your head back and forth (laughs) as I say that. Sarah McDonald, what have you got for me? My first story, the Dolce and Gabbana runway was interrupted with a freak hailstorm. That is from Grazia. And wow, if we want to talk (laughs) karma, let's talk karma. So in case you missed it, on Monday in Venice, if you don't mind, Dolce and Gabbana had organised a big runway show. Now, they really had pulled out all the stops for this runway show. They had thrown a bunch of money at it. It looked pretty incredible and they had some big celebrity names attending Mish. We had Jennifer Lopez, Heidi Klum, Helen Mirren, Courtney Kardashian, welcome back to the show, Chris <laughs> Jenner, Anna Wintour, Zoe Saldana. So there was a lot going on at this runway show. Yeah, no cost was spared whatsoever. The forecast for bad weather was actually expected when it came to putting on this show. They moved it forward an hour to try and dodge the bad weather that was coming their way. Unfortunately, in the middle of the show, 
it was like the heavens opened up and almighty hell was unleashed yeah. on Dolce & Gabbana because the world's worst hailstorm just erupted. Okay, it might not have been the world's worst <laughs> hailstorm. As, as we often say with this podcast, take or minus 10% with whatever we say. But in Michelle's case, take or minus 50. Now, in the middle of the show, footage from the Instagram account Diet Prada showed full hailstorms crashing down, not just on the models walking and on the I'm runway. And I'm not crashing down. They crash on you. <laughs> a hail, a hailstorm could it kill hurts. you. Oh, <laughs> so I'm not allowed to say the heavens opened and it no, was almighty you, hell. You said the world's worst hailstorm. Well, I mean, all are pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> Should I be fact-checking this? <laughs> Absolutely not. Now, people were running, people were yelling. The funniest part about this video on Diet Prada, which I'll get Annabelle to link in the show notes, is the people just yelling, ow, shit, and (laughs) the models kept walking. Now, in the official live stream of the event, the designers, Domenico Dolce and Stefano Cabana, actually braved both the rain and the hail to walk down the runway themselves, as is customary with a fashion show. The runway was incredibly long. <laughs> so you see them start walking, you're like, oh, that's a, it's a long walk you got to do. And they were like trying to shield themselves with their hands. But I'm like, nah, your hands aren't going to save you. <laughs> they look so vulnerable as yeah. well, just like holding up your meek little hand to the sky, <laughs> hoping to protect yourself. Now, the comments on Diet Prada's video was so amazing. The top comments included God is real, Mother Nature knows best, and Miss Jesus was like, no, ma'am, karma has entered the chat. Now, Zara, why were people celebrating the fact that Dolce & Gabbana's event was semi-ruined? It was because for those who have forgotten, Dolce & Gabbana have been in quite a racism controversy over the last couple of years. Now, earlier this year, it came to light that Dolce & Gabbana were actually suing Diet Prada, the Instagram account I mentioned before, for $780 million because Diet Prada accused them of racism in its DG Loves China campaign a couple of years ago. Now, ever since that happened, sentiment for the brand has never been the same because not only was the campaign itself racist, Diet Prada also uploaded screenshots of Stefano Gabbana writing racist things as well. So Lainey Gossip had called this their official comeback tour that after spending a year or two in what she called image rehab, they made sort of like philanthropic donations. They tried to kind of reform the brand. They tried to get celebrities back on side. They tried to become more size inclusive, that this was one of the big shows for them to really come back <laughs> and then hail fell. <laughs> love that so much. Yeah, and I think people might be wondering, well, can't a brand have a comeback? What if they have properly reformed themselves? La, 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 la. I would agree with that to a point. It's just that if Dolce & Gabbana were genuinely remorseful of the things that they've done, they wouldn't be suing Diet Prada for $780 million for holding them to account. Yeah, because that's akin to pointing the finger and placing the blame on Diet Prada for exposing it. It's basically saying, I'm sorry we got caught instead of I'm sorry we got it wrong. If you truly accept that you are the one that needs to change and you are the one that needs to reform, you wouldn't be pointing the finger or going after anyone legally. You would just be changing behind the scenes and trying to platform that in whatever way you can. The fact they're fucking pursuing Diet Prada is so shit. For so much money as well. My second story, AFL great Jimmy Bartel splits from girlfriend following marriage breakdown. That is from news.com. Yeah, a quick refresher for anyone who isn't across AFL or anyone listening internationally. Jimmy Bartel was one of the best AFL players of his time. He won a Brownlow medal and was a triple premiership player. He retired like five or six years ago. He was also notably married to Nadia Bartel. Now, this was one of the golden couples. I would say one of the top two most famous, talked about notable couples in the AFL. Nadia Bartel is a fashion designer. She's an extremely popular blogger and creator. She has 555,000 followers on Instagram. Now, they were together for a long time. They met in 2008, got married in 2014, had two sons together. In 2019, it came as a huge shock. I remember my surprise when I read that they were actually splitting and splitting under quite unusual circumstances. Yeah, and at the same time that news of their split emerged, so too did other rumours about why they had split emerge. So reports suddenly came out that the couple had split after Nadia had 
had reportedly discovered text messages on Jimmy's phone relating to a trip he'd taken to the UK to watch Wimbledon, which happened to be where Lauren Mand lived at the time, which is the woman that he started dating fresh out of that breakup. Now, we should actually note that neither Jimmy nor Nadia have confirmed those reports. Yeah, they're unconfirmed till this day. So the shock marriage split made headlines on August 16, 2019. According to our searches back into the archives, Jimmy was first linked to socialite and future girlfriend Lauren Mand on August 21, so five days later by New Idea. By August 30, the Daily Mail was publishing pap shots of Jimmy Bartel and Lauren Mand out together at lunch. So to say this was incredibly, incredibly fast and incredibly public is a bit of an understatement. This was a total media storm. And weirdly enough, for Nadia, a woman who had two very young sons at this time, one of them was 10 months old, She was the one being trolled, which when you read all of that and look back at that, it's like, how did the maths add up for Nadia to cop the beating there? Yeah, I think what was really interesting at the time is because this was such a Melbourne-centric story in particular, the Herald Sun kind of had its bread and butter with this story. Like they knew that people were going to click on it and the Herald Sun churned out article after article after article about the Jimmy and Nadia split and what that meant is when they put Nadia's face on every single article because that's what they did. They used her face, not Jimmy's. People started to go to the comments and say, shut up about this, like Mm. please stop and started associating her with all this press even though she wasn't controlling it. And suddenly, you're right, she was trolled quite a lot. So as we said in the headline, Jimmy had been with Lauren Mand, his girlfriend, for a couple of years, but this week the news confirmed that they are over and apparently they have been for some time now. Yeah, so we haven't had any photos posted of the couple in quite some time. It seems like many sources are saying that Lauren and Jimmy split earlier this year quietly. Funnily enough, the timing's interesting here. The news that Jimmy is no longer with Lauren Mand, that woman that he reportedly visited or saw in the UK has coincided with the divorce being finalised to Nadia. So this week their divorce was finalised and now we're seeing reports that this relationship has ended. So it was very interesting to look back at this story and remember just how toxic and vile it was. And I'm pretty impressed by how Nadia Bartel came out of all of that. My third story, Kanye West's latest listening party stirs hope of Kim Kardashian reconciliation. That is from CNN. Congratulations are in order to Kanye West because Donda is officially out in the world. (laughs) My God, finally. So he did end up holding, I think, three listening parties to stir up hype for this album release, Zara. Two were held in Atlanta. Another was held in Chicago and ex-wife Kim Kardashian attended all of them. Yeah, exactly. It was the Chicago listening party that got people talking, though, because Kim and Kanye fueled reconciliation rumours after Kim joined him on, I guess I'm going to call it on stage, yeah. but it was like in the arena during a performance dressed as a bride in like this fake wedding dress. She wore like this Balenciaga hawk couture wedding dress, but it, it wasn't a wedding. It was just performance art. Yeah, which would be confusing because apparently their kids were at this event. And I don't <laughs> want to be like, I don't know, a little bit over the top and be like the poor children that'd be so confused. But I'm 27 years old and I'm watching this and I'm confused. So how would like a five-year-old feel? Oh, but when your parents like a Kanye West and are so creatively genius-like, oh, that's how you explain it. it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were also then spotted holding hands leaving the event. But even though this has sort of spurred some rumours being like, oh, are they, aren't they? Most music insiders are saying that this is a very deliberate ploy to stir up even more hype for this album. According to Page Six, one music insider said, Kanye has been telling other rappers that he and Kim are back together, but everybody knows that isn't true. The real story is that Kanye wants to beat Drake in record sales (laughs) and he is putting on a big show of performance art to grab all the media attention. Yeah, he was told by a separate source that Kimye's onstage wedding was not representative of the reality at all, that it was just performance art. The source told E, Kim knew how much this meant to Kanye and was honoured to be involved. The wedding dress was symbolic of their relationship and the song. It was not a vow renewal. There is still so much love between the two, but they aren't reconciling. It really should be noted before we move on to another story as well that Donda hasn't been without its controversy, particularly when it comes to these listening parties. Controversy kind of hit fever pitch when Kanye West decided to include Marilyn Manson and DaBaby in his rollout. Now, 
For those who have forgotten, Marilyn Manson has been pretty extensively accused of sexual assault, rape and abuse. DaBaby has made headlines in the recent month or so for making really homophobic comments. So an odd choice of people to stand beside you releasing your album. Yeah, saying the least. My fourth story. Love Island Australia is coming back with National Treasure. Sophie Monk at the helm. That is from Elle magazine. Yeah, Love Island Australia is back after a one-year hiatus. So this ran in 2018, 2019, we had a break in 2020 and in 2021, it is back. Now, I thought they had actually cancelled this. After (laughs) 2019, the three of us watched that entire season. They kind of ruined the show. Like it was terribly, terribly produced and edited. It looked so cheap, so shitty. Every element of that series, I was like, they have absolutely taken a golden nugget and just thrown it in the mud. But it seems like they're trying again. They got it really right with Love Island season one in Australia. Season two was terrible and maybe for season three they'll try and claw it back. Well, I think what's interesting about the promo that's been released for Love Island this time is this feels like very much a last-ditch effort to make Love Island Australia happen, not just on a local level but on an international level. They're branding it as Love Island Australia. Mm. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, honey. 100%. And they're really trying to push this to international audiences audiences to sell it as the next big Love Island franchise. So as you can imagine, the trailer features Sophie Monk and is played to the tune of Down Under by Men at Work. (laughs) They also have like Vegemite sandwiches. Yeah, it is like like barbecues. The most obviously bad Australian (laughs) thing ever. Now, rumours have it this will return in October. It is the first season of Love Island that will be filmed locally. So this will be filmed in Port Douglas. I think what's going to be really interesting about this show is if they put money into it and if they really, really try, it'll tell us a couple of things. Firstly, it could be the death knell for The Bachelor. And secondly, it will prove if they can do it, that local reality TV can happen. But if it can't, if they don't pull it off, I think that'll be final for me to be like, I don't know if Australia can do reality TV anymore. <laughs> to temper your melodrama, Miss Mayo. <laughs> we can do reality TV when it's cooking shows, when it's singing shows, like all of that's doing dating very, very well. Reality I think TV. what you mean is dating Gen Z millennial reality TV. I was going to say fair? MasterChef. <laughs> <laughs> MasterChef could never. I do agree with you, though. I think if they are going to beat The Bachelor, and I hope one of the producers is listening to this, because as a diehard Love Island fan, I feel very passionately about this. The number one key to this success is actually putting enough money into it. Love Island UK grips young viewers because it speaks to young viewers so, so well. Like they use top 40 music. In Love Island UK this year, Olivia Rodrigo's album was played to absolute death and I loved every fucking second of it. (laughs) Love Island Australia needs to do the same. You can't just give us royalty-free shit. You can't give us the saccharine cheap music that The Bachelor gives us. Give us fun, zesty, relevant music. Appeal to the TikTok generation. If you don't do that, it's not going to fucking work. But I think if they put enough money in, this will go off. It's gone off in the UK for a reason. And I swear to God, I feel so passionately, if they fuck this up again, I'll be really mad. Lots of swear words in that. (laughs) Australia. (laughs) Lots of swear words, lots of passion. My fifth story, he's all that is not all that, not even a little bit of that. That is from the Washington Post. Now, in case you missed it this week, Addison Rae's much-anticipated film debut is here in the Netflix remake of She's All That. It is called He's All That. And a quick refresher for those who may not be on TikTok yet, Addison Rae is the third biggest TikTok star in the world. She is 20 years old. And as far as overnight success goes, This is a pretty big story of it. She Mm. has now released a song called Obsessed, which is not bad. I love that song. (laughs) She has a podcast, a cosmetics company, and has now starred in her first Netflix movie. I can't believe, like, reading that back, like, she just has a cosmetics company and is a musician and now a pop star and a film star as well. So this was much anticipated, partly on the back of Addison Rae's fame, but also partly on the back of... She's All That, which was an iconic 1990s movie that, of course, starred Freddie Prinze Jr. and Rachel Lee Cook. Now, this had high expectations and I think it is 
suffice to say it did not meet the expectations. Did it have high expectations? I mean, I kind of think if you're casting Addison Rae, who's not acted before, people aren't really expecting a movie masterpiece. They're expecting a mainstream sort of easy to watch film, right? Do you think it's that though? Because I watched half an hour and I really struggled to get past that. (laughs) I don't think it's particularly easy to watch. No, but I don't know if I am exactly the core demo, am I? Per that Washington Post review that I had in my headline at the top of this story, the writer wrote, what matters most are the star's charisma and chemistry as he's all that director Mark Waters seems well aware having helmed modern classics like Freaky Friday and Mean Girls. Unfortunately, the new film falters on both fronts. Yeah. What was the biggest letdown for you? Because for me, I think I just could not look past, number one, Courtney Kardashian's acting. Welcome back to Shameless for the third time this episode, Courtney Kardashian. got to be a record. <laughs> Courtney Kardashian's acting was pretty lackluster. She really didn't put any effort in. It was like, go girl, give us nothing. <laughs> also, the number of product placements. Yeah. Like, this was however many minutes of just advertising. Advertising galore and the way they tried to push in every sponsored message felt so cringeworthy. There's one scene where Addison Ray's character's mother is sitting on the bed and like is talking about Lucky Charms for like 15 seconds <laughs> and goes, mm, do you want some Lucky Charms? You used to love these as a kid. And then she pours herself a bowl and starts eating and goes, mm, I forgot they had marshmallows. And I'm like, what am I watching? <laughs> Use the code Lucky Charms. <laughs> and then like a wink. It's so Truman Show-esque of it, hey? It does make me wonder, is this the future of film like is this what we're going to see more and more as a generation who have grown up with product placements all over our social media feeds like that is all we've ever seen and it's now infiltrating our reality tv shows I mean media watch did this pretty funny segment during the week taking aim at survivor and the bachelor for their product placements um which were quite funny when you when you do watch it in a media watch capacity it is quite funny like (laughs) these poor survivor contestants who haven't had a proper meal in four days being offered a fresh I zuzu <laughs> and they're like Woo! and it's like god all they want all they bloody well want is a burger <laughs> do you know what I mean anyway I do wonder is this just going to happen more and more like is this something we're just going to have to get used to yeah maybe I mean it kind of reminded me of that movie I think it was 2014 or 2015 called The Internship with Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn did yeah. either of you watch this I did was that a movie made by Google made by Google it is the funniest thing oh Annabelle please surely <laughs> you know that. Those that that did not click for me yeah so they're doing this movie for anyone who hasn't watched it they're doing an internship at Google and Google is represented as like the nirvana of places to work the cutting edge of creativity and technology the entire movie was bankrolled by Google. Of course it was. That makes so <laughs> much sense. It was. I feel so stupid. I've, I've only seen half the movie, but I feel so dumb as well. So you've both been walking around going, Google does seem like a great company. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's worked. <laughs> hey, that is all I've got for you. Thanks so much. Thank you, next bitch. It was the biggest news out of the fashion and influencing world this week. Former UK reality star turned mega influencer Molly Mae Haig announced the biggest move of her career. She is officially the creative director of fast fashion conglomerate Pretty Little Thing in a deal reportedly worth seven figures. But how do we wrangle with our complicated feelings about that and what does this say about the politics of being an it girl? Zara, I am a huge fan of Molly May. I have been following her for a few years now, but I am well aware that that might not be the case for every shameless listener. This might be the first time they're hearing the name Molly May Haig. So let's introduce the woman at the heart of this story. Yeah, I'm a pretty fresh Molly May follower. I reckon I've been following her for the last six months, mm. so I am a bit of a bandwagoner, <laughs> I will admit. But Molly May did appear on the 2019 season of UK Love Island, and she's gone on to not only be one of the show's biggest exports, but to honestly be one of the biggest influencers in the world right now. At the moment, she has 6 million followers on Instagram and 1.6 million YouTube subscribers. She is only 22. Now, when I was kind of doing some reading on Molly May to see what the media coverage of her is like, I found The Sun's comparison to Kylie Jenner really, really interesting. The Sun ran a piece this week calling her the UK's answer to Kylie Jenner, and it felt to me like that sounded pretty bang on. Yeah, I would say she's the definition of an 
Canute girl. Annabelle, have you heard of her before? I've heard of her, but I actually don't follow her. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're one of few. She is an it girl. I would say she's <laughs> she's one of few. <laughs> you trendless, you lose <laughs> trendless peanut. <laughs> if anything, we're the basic bitches for following it's her. Right. You're okay, unique. I'll brush it off. <laughs> it's all right, Annabelle. Now I sound like such a bitch. It's all right. <laughs> anyway, she is the definition of an it girl. She, yeah, you and no one else. <laughs> sorry. sorry. It's okay. We can move past this. Mm. I'm sorry, Annabelle. I People are going to come to me and say that I'm bullying you. I People love you People are going to come for me for not knowing who Molly Mae is. So. No one's coming for anyone. Let's get into it. So she is the definition of an it girl. I think the Kylie Jenner parallel is bang on Zara. I did some research to kind of look at social blade analytics to figure out just how influential Molly May is. Now, Molly has an engagement rate on Instagram of 9.66%. That is astronomical for the industry. And I want to give you some comparisons to illustrate just how colossal that engagement rate is. For Molly May's 9.66%, Kim Kardashian has an engagement rate of just 1.38%, Beyonce 1.51%, even Kylie Jenner, who you just referenced Zara, has an engagement rate of 3.26%. Even when you look to more social media-centric stars like Addison Rae, welcome back Addison Rae, she's only got an engagement rate of 5.6%, Charlie D'Amelio has 8%. Molly May is basically in a league of her own. The only other person who I could find that exceeds Molly May's engagement rate was Emma Chamberlain, who has 12%. Yeah, Emma Chamberlain is in a bit of a league of her own. Killing it. I would love to actually just talk about Emma Chamberlain for half an hour (laughs) next week if we've got nothing else to talk about. So Molly May has been teasing out for the last few weeks that she was about to announce the biggest brand deal of her career, the biggest move of her career so far. She built this up for a while. We were texting most days every time she teased it being like just fucking tell me what it is <laughs> all I want to know is what it is and, and I thought it would be a collaboration with Fendi yeah she thought it, I was like she's got to be pregnant or else anything else is like doesn't count now it was so big that even the day before she posted a photo having bought a Cartier bracelet worth 37,000 pounds which is about 70,000 Australian dollars to celebrate the move So when she finally did announce the move, she wrote on Instagram, I am beyond ecstatic to announce I am the new creative director of Pretty Little Thing for the UK and the EU. This is the biggest move in my career so far and I can't explain my gratitude to my favourite brand in the world for trusting me with this role. Yeah, and the congratulations rolled in. Obviously, this is a massive achievement for anyone, let alone a 22-year-old woman who should really just be starting out her career. She is at the pinnacle of success right now. Lots of people very, very stoked for her and that's fair enough. But as the compliments came and the congratulations came, so too did the critique. A lot of people came forward to question whether Molly May, as a young woman with a heap of influence, should be embedding herself within the fabric of a company that has a very checkered past. Yeah, it was really interesting to see Gina Martin, who is really well known in the UK for being both a campaigner and a writer, tweeted, would love to see you use your new influence, leverage and power to push for your garment work to be paid above a living wage. As creative director, workers are now your priority too. Gina's tweet was liked more than 20,000 times and retweeted 2,300 times. So this was definitely the mood, right? It's Mm. like, good move for your career. That's wonderful for you. But also, okay, now with this role comes a whole lot of responsibility. And what are you going to do with that? Yeah. And look, to give some public figures the benefit of the doubt, It is sometimes difficult to find information about exactly what a company's culture is like behind the scenes. Like this is not to say that every influencer or every public figure is expected to know every single detail about a company's culture before they join it. But as far as Pretty Little Thing is concerned, I would say that at Shameless, we like to give people the benefit of the doubt that when influencers partner with brands, it is not always easy to understand exactly what is going on behind closed doors. Like understanding the machinations of a brand and how they treat their workers, how culture filters down can be very, very difficult. So we totally accept that some influencers just simply wouldn't know the culture of the company that they are working with. But as far as Pretty Little Thing is concerned, 
This is not some secret, unknown, obscure culture at Pretty Little Thing. Pretty Little Thing's toxic culture has been widely reported on and very well known for more than 12 months now, which is why the question marks are arising. Yeah, absolutely. In June 2020, an investigation by the Sunday Times did find that a factory in Leicester producing clothing for Pretty Little Thing's parent company, Boohoo, was paying workers just £3.50, which is about $6.60 Australian dollars an hour. And the UK's living wage for people aged 25 and over is the equivalent of about 16 Australian dollars. So that is less than half of the living wage. Yeah, this copped a heap of flack in the UK last year. In fact, internationally, we knew about this last year and we live in Australia. Claudia Webb, a local MP, said at the time that Pretty Little Thing and Boohoo's treatment of their factory workers was an unforgivable breakdown of our basic social contract. A further investigation by The Guardian in December 2020 found that Boohoo, who again owns Pretty Little Thing, was also selling clothes that had been made in a Pakistani factory where workers earned 29 pence an hour, equivalent to £47 a month. Some insiders at that factory claimed that workers were being forced to work 24-hour shifts. And this is where it gets really interesting for me because I am a huge Molly May fan. I have been for a long time. And yet the politics of being an it girl really come into question here. She has never professed to be environmentally conscious. So I'm willing to put that to the side right now. Like I know that when we talk about fast fashion, a lot of people want to talk about sustainability and the environment. And those are very, very worthwhile conversations. But I think right here, right now, what I want to discuss is workers' conditions and living wages. This is a humanitarian issue that people are being paid below the living wage. And Molly May, an influencer that I love, is deciding not just to partner with Pretty Little Thing and involve herself with the brand so deeply, but sees it fit to post about a very, very expensive piece of jewellery as a celebration when you could say that jewellery has been bought off the backs of the workers who have been paid and treated terribly. I think it's the bracelet that was the move that really rubbed me up the wrong way Mm. as a Molly May fan. Now, what's most fascinating about this conversation about fast fashion companies like Boohoo and Pretty Little Thing, who are kind of in a league of their own when it comes to fast fashion, is that I don't think our conversations about fast fashion have ever been louder. Like Mm. we've got newspapers doing investigations into these working conditions. So we have every understanding of what's going on behind closed doors. But also these companies have never been more profitable. In May this year, The Guardian reported demand from young consumers for inexpensive activewear, for loungewear and for tops while working from home helped Boohoo sales, and as we said, Boohoo own Pretty Little Thing, climb 41% to £1.7 billion, which is about £3.2 billion Australian dollars. Like that is an insane jump at a time where we're still having these conversations. Young women are still buying fast fashion. They're still buying from these brands. It is ridiculous for us to sit here and assume that we're not because our younger generation is so political. Like it's like we've got these two things going on. We keep saying Gen Z is the most political generation we've ever had, but we've also got Gen Z who are buying fast fashion. We can't pretend they're not. And it's for many, many reasons. I wonder if it's because they're size inclusive. I also wonder if it's because they're affordable mm. and that for or Gen Z, their politics has to come to a stop, I guess, when they can't afford anything else. I would love to know what it is that makes these companies so profitable. It's such an interesting disconnect because if you looked on social media and you kind of tried to get an idea of the mood, you would think that these brands are losing relevancy or declining in profit, not climbing and kind of strangle holding the industry and just having more and more power as time goes on. It is such an interesting disconnect. And I was so surprised to see how well Pretty Little Thing and Boohoo are doing. I was also surprised to read that this is all one family, (laughs) that this is a family that is so, so powerful and so, so very wealthy. Well, this is what really got me, right? When I was reading about the Molly May deal, I was Googling all things Pretty Little Thing because I don't know a heap about Pretty Little Thing. And I was reading about Uma Kamani who started Pretty Little Thing. And there was this interview in CEO magazine that started by saying, when Uma Kamani first launched his fashion brand from the boot of his car, little did he realise he was sitting on a burgeoning multi-million dollar empire destined for success. Now, it wasn't until the third quarter of this article that the writer mentioned that Uma Kamani's dad founded Boohoo. <laughs> so I'm like... The boot of his car 
analogy. I, yeah, literally. I was like, oh, this kid's built it by himself. I'm like, no, this kid, the son of the founder of Boohoo, has not built it himself. And there is something strangely ick to me about a family that owns such a huge piece of the fast fashion pie that recorded a $328 million Australian dollar profit last year but can't pay people properly. Just throw it back <laughs> in the business and pay people. It doesn't make any sense to me. Reading that quote, launching his fashion brand from the boot of his car, you would literally think he's this poor uni student or poor man who is eating like two minute noodles and like getting by by his like, what's that saying? By like your shoelaces or whatever. And yet he is the son of a billionaire. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this does bring us back to Molly May and what we should expect of her, right? Working for this family because should she, when announcing working with Pretty Little Thing, acknowledge that she wants to make some changes? Should she have said, I know I've got reasonable power right now and I want to use that? Is that what we expect of her? Mm, I absolutely do. I mean, I don't know if I expect her to say it publicly. I doubt that the brand would be sweet with that. But I would expect as a Molly May fan that if she wasn't aware of this before this week, she is making herself aware of this. This is a big, big story. This is hugely important. And I would hope that the people I follow are empathetic. And I think the key of being empathetic is caring about all kinds of people, not just the people who are like you or live lives like you. And I don't think you can take seven figures from a company and turn your back on the way that they are treating marginalised people. I think if you care and if you have empathy and compassion, you will try and change this because this is a culture that has existed a pretty little thing for a very, very long time. And I would hope that she is having conversations behind the scenes because I think that is integral to being a good human. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Guys, that is all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for listening as always. Did you know we have a newsletter? We do have a newsletter. It is called Ask Shameless. You guys write in your life dilemmas and we and our stable of columnists answer them. So it's not just us, Zara. We have three columnists in Maggie Zhao, in Madison Griffiths and Alira Potter. We try and give you the best advice possible. Hopefully it is sound advice most of the time. Yeah, exactly. Here's hoping. We also are adding some additions to the newsletter in the coming weeks and months. So we will put a link in our show notes to subscribe to that one. But it is something we love putting out. So we wanted to remind you about it. Yeah, it drops every Friday. So if you want to get tomorrow's newsletter, make sure you subscribe today. I think that's all, guys. Annabelle Lee, anything to add? No. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks so much, guys. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.